God often reveals his truth to us, whether it is about himself, us, or the relationships therein, through the natural world. This is revealed to us by Paul in Romans 1, 19-20, which says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is also true for man-made things such as film, and I would like to show how he does just that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Welcome to Oh How Marvelous Episode 12, where today we'll be talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Now, my first time watching this film, I remember I went to see it with a friend and a cousin of mine, um, the same cousin that I talked about earlier with Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, actually. Um, and I actually remember the experience seeing it in theaters, so... My cousin Ian and our friend Andrew went to see it, and I specifically remember, well, first of all, I just remember having an overall good time with it, but what I specifically remember about the experience is the moment when Ego and Star-Lord are fighting each other down at the center of the planet, and Ego turns into this giant rock humanoid type thing. And he's going towards Star-Lord, and Star-Lord um, acts back by forming a Pac-Man rock. <laughs> and my friend Andrew just started busting out laughing when it pans, not pans, but when the shot gets to the Pac-Man rock thing. <laughs> and I remember laughing at that moment too, but I remember definitely having an overall good time with it. It was 2017, I believe, and I had just finished up my sophomore year in college, and so I definitely, like, remember... I was definitely into the MCU at this point. I've told you before that ever since the Avengers, I was in on the MCU. They got me hooked there. And so I remember seeing it in theaters with them. It was fun. I really enjoyed myself. It was a great time. Even then, I thought it was... And still I do believe that Volume 2 was a better film than the original Guardians of the Galaxy film. And I know that there are a lot of people out there who think that the original Guardians of the Galaxy was better than Volume 2. But I, I respectfully disagree with y'all if you're one of those people. And I understand your arguments for it. It's totally cool to each his own. I love the soundtrack of this film. It is fantastic. Um, I think it's even better than the first movie's soundtrack. I've said it in the Guardians of the Galaxy episode that I just love the soundtrack anyway. But Guardians Volume 2 just stepped it up. And I really loved that they kind of integrated the themes used within those to kind of further the plot, um, give some depth to the character of Ego and his relationship with Star-Lord and especially what I'm thinking of specifically is the scene where he explains to Star-Lord that from the song Brandy that he and Star-Lord are like the sailor who are called to the sea and I'll get into that later but now it's time for my favorites and I like so much about this film. There's going to be a whole lot of honorary stuff that I mentioned. So let's get to it. So I watched this most recently last night just to um, prepare for this episode of the podcast. And this is the greatest time I think I've had watching it ever since my first time watching it in theaters. This is a very good movie and I really enjoyed watching it last night. Um, there are times before where I've watched it and I'm like, eh, whatever. But, like, somehow, 
watching it from my computer just was different. And so I, I think it just renewed the excitement for me within watching the movie. And so, um, yeah, let's get to it. So my favorite character, um, you might think it would be Star-Lord. No, um, actually Star-Lord didn't really shine all too well to me in this movie. He certainly is a great character um, and Chris Pratt did a great job portraying him and he certainly has some great lines which I'll mention later but actually my favorite character in this is Drax he he just steals the show in whatever scene he is really um the more comical scenes really not necessarily the serious scenes except for the one scene where he's talking to Mantis and talking about um the lost lakes from his planet where he would spend time with his daughter and his wife um which i love that scene and we'll get into that scene later but yeah drax just kind of stole the show for me he is a great character he's funny and so is that for that reason that he is my favorite character in this film now as for my favorite scene i get it there's a whole lot of great scenes in this film um it's really hard to choose really but I decided to go with the scene where I like to call it Groot's heist, where it's right after he's just frankly abused by the Ravager crew. Um, they pour alcoholic drinks on him, whatever. And he just kind of slowly trudges over to the cell where Rocket and Yondu are being held and Yondu tries to get him to steal the prototype fin for his head from the drawer. And I just enjoy the scene where he just comes back with all these various items. And <laughs> it brings back a uh, severed appendage. And Rocket is just like, uh, please tell me that you have just a stash of these somewhere. And Yondu just shakes his head no <laughs> and rocket's like okay let's just agree to not talk about this again and then they move on with the scene um i just love the innocence of baby groot here it's fantastic um it, it's a great scene and i i just love baby groot in this movie he is fantastic like you see moments where he's like acting like a baby where he he has baby like reactions like normal um I think of specifically where um, when Ego is getting mad and the big fight at the end and like he basically holds everybody captive on the planet. Um, the cave around Baby Groot where he's trying to set the bomb and closes around him um, and he starts crying like a baby. But there's also moments where Groot like acts like a child or even maybe even a teenager sometimes in maturity level um where he he's trying to fight the bad guys he um is i think also too of he he's kind of like looking up to rocket and yondu when they're taken back over the ship and so he just decides to like put on his mean face like everyone else and He's just imitating what he sees with Rocket and Yondu. And so, yeah, that's also just kind of childlike, too. And so we'll get into that bit later, actually, too. And so an honorary scene that I want to mention is when Drax pops up and surprises Star-Lord, startling him. And he talks about... He basically disses Star-Lord and says, you need someone pathetic like you. But, like, he's talking about how he met his wife and I, I just love that scene. It's hilarious. Because <laughs> I just love that they created like this culture that just has this great contrast with what we as Americans understand from our culture. And so like we're like attracted to like dancing, outgoing people. And then Drax and his kind, or at least him from his kind, is just like I loved her. She wasn't moving a single muscle. She wouldn't even tap her foot. Like, I, I loved it. 
it's a it's a great contrast. A great contrasts like these are what make comedy moments like this so fantastic. And as for my favorite quote, there were a lot of good quotes, and I wrote down a few honorary quotes, which I will actually get to first before I mention my favorite quote. Um, the first one comes from Star Lord, where he's like, "Family reunion, yay!" <laughs> when uh, Nebula gets turned over to the Guardians because of their efforts in defending whatever the heck it was they were defending for the Sovereign. And then Gamora's just like, let's just take her to Xandar. But I love that line too, because it shows the growth in the relationship between Gamora and Nebula later on. So now the next quote that I really enjoyed came from a group of the Sovereign. When it comes down to just one of them chasing the guardianship, where, and this is the moment where Drax is holding on to the ship by a thread or whatever. Um, he's tethered himself to the ship. That's what it is. And he's just shooting at all the ships, um, firing at them. And then he finally gets his aim right, shoots it. And the rest of the Sovereign watching the guy are like, you suck, Zylak. And you see the look of distress on his face. Like, the guy is so distraught. Like, I love the delivery physically of his reaction <laughs> it's fantastic my next three honorable mention quotes come from drax himself um the first one is where he first meets ego and ego is showing him and the crew star lord gamora the planet that he has created and lives on for himself and <laughs> Drax is like, I too am extraordinarily humble. Um, I just love it because Ego plays off of that later on where he's like, when I'm feeling as humble as Drax. Um, yeah, I love that line. The next line that I love from him is he's talking to Mantis and Mantis is trying to warn him what's about to happen. And he thinks that she's trying to let on to him. And he says, hey, there's no need to get personal. Uh, which very much contrasts with what he was doing to Mantis earlier. So, um, kind of hypocritical, but still just, I think they just did that for comedic purposes. It was fantastic. The next one is, he's talking to Nebula. And this is where he says that, no, we're family. We leave no one behind. And here's the line that he says. He says, we leave no one behind, except maybe you. And Nebula scoffs. She's like, oh my goodness. Uh, get me off this planet now. And I do not blame her for that. But uh, I just... I love Drax's quips. It's just fantastic. Um, but this last honorary quote that I have that I want to mention comes from Star-Lord himself. It's right after he gets out of... I guess the best word that I can think of right now is the trance that Ego puts him in. That he's almost won him to his side, but he should not have mentioned that he gave the woman that he loved, Star-Lord's mom, cancer. And so Star-Lord goes back up into the ship that crashed into the building that he was in. And he's surprised to discover that Yondu's the one who is driving the ship. And so a conversation starts and... Star-Lord says, of course I have issues. That's my freaking father! <laughs> and of course, there are so many other great quotes, but like, there's just too many to name, really. But I still have yet to get to my favorite quote, which is at the very beginning, well, not very beginning, but like towards the beginning of the film, where Rocket has just stolen the Amulex batteries that Drex calls Harbulary batteries, and um, they're being chased by the Sovereign Fleet. And Gamora questions, why are we being chased by them? Like, it makes no sense. We just did them a good deed. And so Drax is like, perhaps it's because Rocket stole some of their batteries. And Rocket's like, dude! And then Drax says, Right, he didn't steal some of those. I don't know why they're after us. What a mystery this is. What a fantastic line, and a great delivery by Dave Bautista, really. 
Dave Bautista has generally just given us a great performance of this character of Drax, and I will miss it when he's gone, for sure. Because they did say that Dave Bautista will no longer be Drax after Volume 3, so um, I will definitely miss that character. I'll miss the comedy that he brings, and just like the level of seriousness. I, I love how they wrote the character, and so I definitely will miss him within the MCU, that's for sure. So that does it for my favorites, but there's a lot that I want to mention that I actually really enjoyed about this film. First of all is I like how they made the Sovereign Fleet control room kind of seem like an arcade. Um, I just had that environment about it, and especially with that um, scene where everybody's watching Zylac um, go after the Guardian ship as if you're watching someone else just play a video game like it has that environment about it and so i enjoyed um that aspect of it and then <laughs> aisha just gets mad when everything goes wrong it's fantastic it it's just great writing really my second favorite thing well great thing that i really enjoyed about this film was how rocket and yondu's relationship is um i just love the scene where Yandu is screaming at Rocket and he's basically saying I am you because I relate so much to you basically and I, I think that just establishes a great um, relationship between the two um, I get that it's after their prison escape kind of thing but um, and I love their conversation within the prison because it just kind of like shows like the serious side of each character and the relatability of them and I think it's fantastic. Um, great writing on that part with establishing a relationship between those two characters. The third thing was, I mentioned it when I talked about my experience in theaters. I loved the Pac-Man thing. That, <laughs> that moment was fantastic. Uh, it was a great touch. Uh, a great comedic touch to a very uh, serious moment kind of thing. But... Uh, I just freaking loved it. And the last great thing that I want to talk about is um, I loved how at Yondu's funeral scene, um, when Star-Lord is talking about um, your whole life, you could be searching for something, but it ends up being right in front of your face and you don't even realize it. And then the camera goes to Gamora, and she's looking over at Nebula, and it looks over to Nebula, and it just shows the whole relationship between them two. It's like they were both wanting sister, and it was right in front of their faces this whole time. And then that's when they both realize, well, that's when Gamora realizes, hey, my sister's right in front of me. She's been with me in my entire life. And uh, she, I love the reconciliation scene with Nebula afterward, and... Um, I I just love the relationship that the relationship growth that takes place within this film for those two characters. Um, it's fantastic. It really sets up Endgame pretty well too. And I I don't know how I feel about them doing what they did with that relationship in Endgame, given the circumstances. But I might get into that with the Endgame episode. Who knows? I don't know. The Lord knows. But um, yeah, I really loved that moment there now i only have one dislike with this film and it's really just a tiny nitpick um i could see the explanation for it but my thing was after nebula and gamora's fight they're walking through this cave and they just happen to come upon the very site that ego decided to bury his children that he killed that didn't have the celestial gene like that seems kind of convenient but i guess for the sake of the plot like you had to move it forward makes sense again very small nitpick so it it's not that big of a deal anyway but yeah that's just a little nitpick that i have there but as for the stan lee cameo we cannot forget this i gave it a 6.7 out of 10 it was a little better than average. Um, I liked that it kind of established 
and confirmed at that point the theories that he was a watcher even though his character in each film was really inconsequential but um i really liked the theory that he was a watcher and they just decided to go with it and he references his appearance in civil war um and the rest of the watchers are like okay we're done listening to you um it was a nice comedic scene like he actually has two appearances in this movie first well it's the same scene but first of all it's like in the middle of the the jump to bear heart for rocket and yondu and then it's a post-credit scene where it's just a continuation of the little bit that we see there and so i just loved that they gave the stanley cameo its justice there for the credit scene and i really enjoyed this stanley cameo it was definitely so much better than the guardians volume one cameo um fantastic um it was great and so i think that does it for my thoughts on the film overall and so let's just get to the devotional piece now it reads at the beginning of guardians of the galaxy volume 2 peter quill knows who his mother was but never knew who his father is after an almost impossible escape from the sovereign the guardians crash land on a random planet where Peter's father, Ego, decides to make his entrance and introduce himself, saying that he has been searching for Peter for a long time. This experience brings Peter great joy, so he, Drax, and Gamora decide to go with Ego to his home planet, of his own creation, and spend a few days while Rocket repairs the ship. Later, it is revealed that Ego wants to use Quill to take over the universe to recreate it in his own image, Peter would likely have been killed if he did not possess the celestial gene, the fate of the dozens of his half-siblings from throughout the galaxy. Now that Ego is revealed to be a horrible father, Peter and the rest of the Guardians are forced to kill him to prevent that from happening, ending Peter's celestial powers in the process. All too often, people are disappointed by the mistakes and even the evils of their earthly fathers. Despite all of this, there is good news. God, our Heavenly Father, promises to never fail us, and He makes true on His promises. 1 John 3.1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. ESV Our Heavenly Father loves us with a love that only He can give. We know that He makes true on His promises by Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. ESV While an earthly father may fail you in love and other things like Ego did to Peter, our heavenly father will never fail. Towards the end of the film, Yondu, the man who raised Quill from childhood, decides to sacrifice himself in order to save the life of Peter, whom he had seen as his son. This is when Quill realized that Yondu had been his father all along in the way of his love for him. Moments before he passes, Yandu says, He may have been your father, boy, but he wasn't your daddy. His sacrifice is what our Heavenly Father did for us when sending his one and only son to die for our transgressions on the cross. Has your earthly father failed you in love, promises, and or any other way? Has that shaped the way you view God as your Heavenly Father? If so, how? Will you start looking to God as your Heavenly Father who will never fail you nor forsake you? Will you decide today to place your trust in Him as your Heavenly Father whose promises are yes with your response being Amen? I personally am blessed to have had an earthly father who actually does love me and an earthly mother who loves me as well. Um, and I am still kind of comfortable even as a 25-year-old, about to turn 26 actually, I feel comfortable still living with them, um, especially given the economy that we're in. Um, but um, I know that's not the case for a lot of people out there. And if you are one of those people, whether it's your father or your mother or both, I am so sorry about that. Um, no one should have to be disappointed by the failings and the evils that their parents here on earth um put them through or even the failures and evils that their parents 
themselves have gone through that have caused them to repeat that. Um, and you certainly do want to break generational sin, and we'll get into the generational sin in a minute. But it is true that God um, is our heavenly Father, and He makes true on His promises. His promises are yes, and our response is amen. And by the way, the meaning of the word amen is so be it, or let it be so. And so whenever we pray something and we say amen, we're saying that prayer, and then we're saying let it be so. If you remember my discussion about fatherhood and the devotional that went along with it in Iron Man 2, um, you could just look back on that. And I discussed how God is our Heavenly Father there more into depth. Um, so if you want to be reminded of that, just feel free to go back to that episode and listen to that portion of it. Um, I don't think there's anything that I would say today that was not already said in that episode. So yeah, um, just refer to it. Now generational sin is a concept that I personally did not hear of until about three, four years ago, four years ago, um, that summer. And it was something that never really occurred to me because I am blessed to come from a family that I have not been able to really see generational sin pop up so much. It's not very obvious, at least. Um, there might be one, but I, I, I just can't think of where that might be, what it might be. But maybe you can for your own family. Um, maybe you see it being repeated within yourself. And now in this moment, you're like, man, I, I don't want this to be repeated in my kids. Or you're listening right now and you see that it's within you and your own kids. And you want that to stop with you and your kids. And I, that's a great, a great place to start there. Where we see generational sin in the Bible, um, at least one instance of it is Abraham is married to Sarah, right? And I think at this moment in Scripture in Genesis, um, her name is Sarai and his name is Abram at this specific point in time. And so I'm just going to read from the passage here. It's Genesis 12, starting in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now what was Abram soon to be Abraham's sin here? Well, the answer is easy. He lied to Pharaoh about Sarah being his sister instead of his wife just to cover up for himself. He didn't want to die because his wife was so beautiful. In this instance, Abram was just trying to save his own tail. He was looking out for his own life and disregarding the ethics behind how he was treating his own wife in the situation, and even Pharaoh, for that matter. Now, where do we see this action being repeated as a generational sin? Well, Isaac, his son... Well, their son, actually, Isaac, does the same thing to his wife, Rebecca. And this passage is found in Genesis chapter 26, starting at verse 6. 
It says, So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So again, here we see Isaac repeating the sin of his father Abraham by covering up for his own butt, by lying about who his wife is, um, saying his wife is actually his sister. Um, and he was trying to save his own tail, just like Abraham was. Now, something important to know here is that not only is it like selfish, but it also shows that how each Abraham and Isaac view the people that they're visiting. They think that those people are kind of like savages. They'll take whoever they want as their wives and kill their husbands if they have any. But Abimelech and Pharaoh prove themselves to be of a higher character than that. They prove that, hey, we respect that you are already married and we will honor that, and we will even protect that. But where do we see generational sin here in Guardians Volume 2? Well, we see where it could happen. We see that Ego is trying to create another celestial to be able to go about his plan of making the universe him. And... He can't do that by himself, but he explains to Star-Lord that with two Celestials, that is definitely possible. And so that's a very sinful motive right there. Like he wants to demolish all life within the universe and recreate it to be just him. And so if Peter were to go along with that, that would be generational sin. That'd be two generations one after another, doing the wrong thing. And once Peter realizes what's going on, he wants to break that generational sin there. So, yeah, um, it's definitely prevalent here. And so there are some other biblical topics that I've noticed in this film. So let's get to it. The first topic that I noticed was Rocket thinking that he's alone in who he is as... A person so to speak um, he's alone in how he feels about his experiences he's alone in his experiences themselves but I love the scene where Yondu and Rocket are just arguing on the ship and Yondu is explaining to Rocket why he is also Rocket in a way he he's basically saying that I can relate to you um, and he says all these things, he explains all his life story basically, saying, This is how I emotionally connect with my experience. And Rocket can, you see on Rocket's face that, um, and through his reaction, that he has gone through the same thing. Um, and in a way, you could see the relief that he has is in knowing that he's not alone in those experiences and feelings. And I just wanted to say that it is often times that we, as people of God, even um, even as children of God, when we have horrible, difficult experiences or sins that just we can't be able to shake on our own, we can never shake on our own, really, it's hard for us to think that we're not alone. Um, that's one of Satan's lies, right? He, he tells us that we're alone in that. And um, that's why counseling is important. Um, that's why it's important to let others know of your sins, others who you're comfortable with telling them. Um, 
this is the power of testimony, right? Because when we tell each other our testimonies, we're telling each other our struggles that we've went through, that we've overcome, the struggles that we're still trying to overcome, um, and where God's taking us on this journey of life. And I love sharing testimonies. I love hearing testimonies. It lets others know that, hey, here's my struggles, and maybe you can relate to this. And there are some struggles I know growing up that I was struggling with sexual sin. And a lot of the time, I felt alone in that. And over time, I've heard other people's stories about their struggles with sexual sin, and I've come to realize that I'm not alone in that. I'm not unique in my experience with certain specific sins. And I think that it is great that they showed Yondu and Rocket relating to each other here. Um, and so, yes, it is important. Tell your testimony to someone. Tell it to your closest friends. Um, I think the power of testimony, the at least the conscious knowledge of the power of testimony has been lost today. And that's why, it's partly why we live in the world we live in today. So tell your testimony. Don't be afraid. Um, tell it to a small group of friends first because um, it can be hard. It really can be hard to share some of these things with people. Um, but for one, it lets people know where you're coming from in life, where your struggles are. And it can help them become more sensitive to those things um, in their interactions with you going forward. And uh, in a way, it's very therapeutic because um, I imagine I've never been through a counseling session myself. I imagine that part of counseling sessions is like, hey, tell me about your experience with this or tell me your life story, something like that. And it's very important just to let others know your struggles, what you're going through. And it's also important to hear it out from others as well. Because um, we are not alone in our sin. We are not alone in our struggles. We might be unique in that we struggle with a certain set of sins to a certain extent. But we are not alone in struggling with a specific sin. That is a lie straight from Satan right there. Um, so yes, share your testimony with people. Um, it glorifies the Lord. Um, your testimony should glorify God. It shouldn't bring you down. It glorifies the Lord. Um, the Bible talks about suffering. Um, every time it mentions, well, every time it mentions suffering, but a lot of the times when it does mention suffering, it says something along the lines of it brings the Lord glory because it make, brings you into dependence upon him. And so the Lord allows us suffering so that we can become dependent on him. Because if we are made to become independent of anything, we become selfish, arrogant, or like I'm only... And the only thing I got in the world. Um, and when we suffer, we realize that that is not true. Um, but when we lean on Christ and come to repent and fully lean in him, um, the Lord blesses and keeps us. Um, he makes his face to shine upon us. Uh, be gracious unto us. He, he brings us peace beyond understanding. And I pray that you can have that peace as well. So the next biblical theme comes up when Gamora calls out Quill on his arrogance, but she doesn't call Rocket out on his arrogance when they have the conversation when they crash land on Bearheart, that planet that they first meet Ego. Because Rocket was also being arrogant and he deserved to be called out on it, but Gamora only called Star-Lord out on it. And so this reminds me of in John chapter 8, um, where... An adulterous couple is discovered for their adultery, and only the woman is brought out to the streets um, by a mob, a crowd, whatever you want to call them, and they start to stone her. But Jesus comes up, and he kind of stands in the way, and he 
write something in the sand a couple times, sand, dirt, whatever it is. Um, you know what? I'm just going to read the passage here. It actually starts in John chapter 7, verse 53. And it says, They, being the Pharisees, went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Every time this passage is talked about, um, people like to emphasize the part where Jesus says, Go and sin no more. Or even the part where he calls out the Pharisees or whatever. But the part that I want to focus on here. Um, as you may have noticed with my leading up to it, is that only the woman within that adulterous relationship is brought out. But where's the man? Where's the man in this relationship? Because according to the Mosaic law, the law given to Moses by God, he should have also been brought out. It should have just been the woman. Both parties within the adulterous relationship should have been brought out and stoned to death. That is what the Mosaic Law had to say. Um, and Jesus probably saw this, and there's a lot of people out there, scribes, scholars, um, biblical scholars, who might have thought that um, what Jesus wrote in the sand at least one of those times is, where is he, or something like that. And so we don't know for sure what Jesus wrote on the ground either of those times that he wrote something on the ground in this passage. Um, but to point out here is that their hypocrisy with not bringing him out, but her out. And they personally were not following the law down to what it should be. And that's the irony of it, of the whole situation, because the whole stigma with the Pharisees is that they wanted to follow the law um, to the letter, dot, dot the I's, dash the T's. Um, but here in this instance, Jesus was calling out their hypocrisy for not doing so. And um, it kind of shows their double-mindedness there. Um, and so, in this instance, what should have happened was the man should have been brought out. And so in the end, Jesus' response to this entire situation is having mercy on the woman. By what's written in this passage, it can be inferred that the woman did genuinely feel regret for her sinful actions. And so Jesus just has mercy on her and says, go, but also sin no more. Um, he's given her a second chance. Um, this is also just kind of foreshadowing to the second chance that he gives us all after sacrificing himself as the ultimate sacrificial lamb on the cross for us. The next biblical theme that comes up is in the scene on Contraxia when Yondu approaches Sylvester Stallone's character. I forget what his name is. But anyways, um, his character um, kind of misunderstands Yondu. And at the end of the movie, uh, he comes to understand what Yondu was going through throughout his life with Ego's children. Um, he thought, he just thought that Yondu was breaking the Ravager code. And so he was following the Ravager law by excommunicating or outlawing, exiling him. That's what it is. He was exiling him from the Ravagers. But he does this out of a misunderstanding 
for what Yandu himself was going through. Um, this happens in the Bible with the story of Joseph in Genesis. He was just trying to tell his brothers about the dreams that he was having. Because um, he he probably just wanted to hang out with his brothers. Like he was the youngest brother in the whole group. As a younger brother, uh, as the youngest child of three, I can kind of relate to that. I can be... Because especially... Like, there's a bit of an age gap between me and my siblings. And so, like, I looked up to my siblings growing up. And so, I, I imagine that Joseph here was just trying to be a part of the group. You know, he was just telling his brothers about the dreams that he was having. But his brothers misunderstood where he was coming from. They thought that he was just trying to be arrogant. That he wanted to rule over them, even though he was the youngest of them. Um, but that was not the case. Um, but because of their misunderstanding of him, they um, threw him in a pit. Um, they sold him into slavery in Egypt. But that brought about something good be because of the acts of God on Joseph's life. Um, you can read all about it in the book of Genesis. It's in the last few chapters. It's the last grand story that happens within that book. I think it starts in chapter 26 or something like that. Um, and it's one of my favorite Old Testament stories, um, to be frank with you. But yeah, um, so be careful not to misunderstand other people. Um, and if you feel misunderstood, try. I get that this is probably not going to work, but there's an off chance that it would. But try and explain yourself. Um with patience and grace and love, of course. Um, grant mercy as well in doing so. Um, my advice is try not to come across as argumentative, but peaceful and try to understand where they're coming from first. Um, that way they might be open to understanding where you're coming from. I have learned that through some experience the past couple of years myself. The next biblical theme comes up when Nebula has um, said enough killing for the day. Um, and then she eventually goes, there's a conversation that ensues, um, a little argumentative, but um, they make a plan to go after Star-Lord and the Guardians to turn them into Aisha and the Sovereign for a lump sum of money or units, whatever you want to call it, whatever the currency you want to call it. Well, it is units, but um, but Nebula asks for 10% of the take, and that's what God asks for us. He asks us for 10% of our income every time, not after we buy things, but as soon as we get the income, 10% goes straight to the church. Um, and where we find this in the Bible, one instance is Leviticus 27.30, um, which describes saying that a tenth of the crops, the yield of the harvest, should go to the Lord. Um, now, obviously, we are not all farmers here. And so that translates in principle over to our society today um, what their equivalent of our currency would be um, what they used as currency was like crops harvest whatever um, they used actual money too but the crops and their flocks and such were um, of great value to them and so what's of great value to us is our money um, and so that translates to us as money our 10% of our money, of our income, of our first fruit yield should go to the Lord. In Genesis chapter 14, Abram gives Melchizedek the priest a tenth of everything that he has there. Um, that is also his tithing towards the Lord. And there are so many other instances in the Bible. There's a whole list of them. You could Google them. Um, but yeah, 10% is the baseline tithe that we give to the Lord. Um, 
as a, a show of our faith towards the Lord. Um, it's not a selfish thing. Actually, the Lord blesses tithing. I've heard countless testimonies of people who have tithed and have been financially or emotionally or whatever blessed because of their tithing, because of their show of faithfulness to the Lord. The Lord is faithful to um, reciprocate that. So um, I encourage you to tithe if you haven't already yet. So this next biblical theme is kind of a two-in-one. First of all, it's ego is searching for meaning, but then when he finds that meaning, he kind of gets to the wrong conclusion. He believes that his purpose in the end is to create the universe in his own image. And first of all, we're going to get into his search for meaning. Life is purposeless without our creator. We do not have any purpose outside of Christ because he has created us. And if we try to search for a purpose within ourselves, within the world, without looking towards our creator first, we come to the wrong conclusion as he did. Now, as far as him creating the universe in his own image, that is sort of kind of reflective of God in that sense. Um, Genesis chapter 1, I believe, um, in that chapter, the Lord says, let us make man in our image. So an important thing of note here is that all of mankind, every single human being is made in the image of God. But you are not in Christ until you believe that Christ is your Lord and Savior. That is the difference. You are not a part of the family of Christ. You are not part of the body of Christ. You are not a part of the body of believers. You are not a part of the bride of Christ until you come into a personal relationship with Christ for yourself. Believing that he died on the cross to save you from your sin. He died on the cross as a sacrificial lamb so that you wouldn't have to make sacrifices for your own self. Like the Israelites had to do back in Old Testament times. Christ was the fulfillment of that law. Therefore, no more sacrifice. We just accept him as our sacrifice. Now, going back to let us make man in our image, we are all made in the image of Christ. It kind of points back to the theme verse of this podcast, right? Um, he shows people who he is through nature. He shows him, he shows people himself through nature. And the image of God in us is what we see in ourselves and each other that reflect who God is. Um, these can also be known as the communicable attributes of God. There are non-communicable attributes of God and communicable attributes of God. And what that means is the non-communicable attributes of God are attributes that only God himself has, like being all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, um, omniscient, um, yeah, I just repeated all-knowing. But it is those things where the all-powerful, we can't be all-powerful, we can't be all-knowing, we can't be everywhere at once. And so the communicable attributes are the imago Dei, the image of God within us. These attributes include being merciful, um, being gracious, being kind. Uh, just name the fruit of the Spirit and that's it we have that image of Christ within us. And one way that we can examine ourselves and how we reflect this image is how we're, how well are we individually? It's important to first look within ourselves because how are we individually reflecting, showing forth the fruit of the Spirit as described by us by Paul, described for us by Paul, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So how well do we reflect these? 
are there's some that we're better at than others um how can we grow in each one of them um so i challenge myself with that and i challenge you with that um to grow within the fruit of the Spirit, to better reflect the image of Christ to others so that they might come to know Him um, through your kindness, through your love, through your patience, um, through your graciousness to them. So I pray that we all might reflect the image of Christ well to others. The last biblical theme here that I want to touch base on is derived from the moment where Groot um, and Yondu and Rocket are taking back over the Ravager ship um, from the mutiny um, that Taserface has started. And um, you can see that Rocket and Yondu have their game faces on. Um, they're ready to take over um, and get things done. And you see that Groot looks at that and tries to imitate that. And that's a very childlike reaction, right? Because Groot is just looking at the world around him and learning from that. And that's how we, as children of God, do for God. Um, Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians saying, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, he specifically here is talking about um, there are people within the church at Corinth who are saying, well, I'm a follower of Paul Apollos. I'm a follower of Paul. Um, and Paul's point here is to say that, hey, both me and Apollos are just trying to imitate Christ. So, yeah, sure, imitate us, but just know that we are trying to imitate Christ first. Um, and so, yes, you can look up to us, but the first person you should be trying to imitate is Christ, not us. Um, and it's kind of like how within American history, you have George Washington who warned the founding fathers against splitting up into parties, right? Um, now we have the Democrat and Republican Party it makes our nation so divided, yada, yada, yada. But to relate this back to scripture, Paul is warning against um, splitting up into different groups as Christians. Um, and this is kind of how we got denominations in the first place, right? Um, it's divided us as a church, but um, as, a, as the body of believers, really. But we, I believe, as the body of Christ, um, as the church universal, which... By the way, is the original meaning of the Catholic Church, um, where it comes from the Nicene Creed, I believe, in the Holy Catholic Church. Um, or was it the Apostolic Creed? Um, I think it was the Apostolic Creed, the Apostles' Creed, where it says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. It means universal church. But what we need to be reminded of as the universal church is that we believe in the basic fundamentals of Christianity, and we shouldn't let our theological differences um, keep us separated from one another, that we shouldn't not help each other out where we can, um, just because of our theological differences, because we still believe in the same God, we still believe in the one way of getting there. Again, Groot here is imitating what he believes to be right, because he's looking up to Rocket as his dad, and He's just imitating what Rocket does. And so, again, we should be imitating Christ um, and even looking up to the people that we see as faithful believers. Um, try to imitate them, but know that they're imitating Christ first and foremost. So, I think that does it for the biblical themes here. Now, I forgot last time to talk about my thoughts on Miss Marvel. I can't believe I just overlooked that. Um, and I thought about it right after I submitted the recording to the podcast platforms. And so my thoughts on Miss Marvel, I enjoyed it. It was pretty good. I especially, I think my favorite part about it 
was um, in one of the episodes, she's like telling a story. Um, Kamala Khan is, um, who is Miss Marvel. She's telling the story and she's riding on a bike through the streets um, with her friend Bruno. And as she's telling the story, there's like street art that goes along the buildings that they're riding by um, that reflects the story that she's telling. Um, and it's like a motion picture type thing. And I, I love that use of imagery there. It was fantastic. Um, and I, I enjoyed the show. Um, it wasn't my favorite Disney Plus show that Marvel's put out there. Um, but it was still pretty enjoyable. There were funny moments. Um, I feel that I can still relate to teenagers in the humor way, I guess, um, within that realm. But yeah, I enjoyed Miss Marvel. It was fantastic. Um, I recommend it. Uh, it's not often that you get to see, like, the real life stuff of Muslims, but I think it's interesting. And um, I would recommend you watch it for that if you do not know um, the real life things that um, the the real life experience of a Muslim, not necessarily with their struggles per se, although there is that, but um, it helps you get to know what they do, um, how they worship, um, and it might help you further understand where they come from so that you might be able to, if you come across a Muslim in your life, if you have a Muslim friend, that you might be able to witness them, witness to them um, in a loving manner so as to bring them to Christ. And so, yeah, Miss Marvel was great for that. And of course, we'll get more into detail of Miss Marvel when I get to that episode covering this first season that we just saw that came out. The next thing is right now, we are one episode into She-Hulk, and I am enjoying She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. It is a pretty good show. It's pretty well shaping up to be pretty good right now. Um, and this is a great episode to me because it references previous MCU projects, um, whether in subtlety or dialogue or props in the background. Um and I, I love it, especially surrounding the character of Bruce Banner. And I love how they just throw back to that. They um, have that. I, I can't wait to see what they do with this character going forward with the show and in the future of Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it'll be really interesting for sure. I'm interested also to see what they do with Bruce. If they're going to just retire him or what the case may be, um, and I I just love this show. This I personally think that this show is shaping out to be my favorite Marvel Disney Plus show that they've put out so far. Um, I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm glad that it's going to be nine episodes. Um, I'm here there's going to be some past iconic characters that show up in the show, um, and I can't wait to see how that plays out. So yeah. It's going to be fantastic. So now I have a recommendation for y'all. I actually happened upon this thing. Um, the other day, I was checking my mail at my house. And as I mentioned earlier, I still live with my parents. So my dad gets this invitation thing to a local concert um, put on by this Southern Gospel group, a really well-known Southern Gospel group called the Collingsworth Family. Um, it's a very gifted musical family group, um, and I decided to look them up on Spotify just to see what they have, because I enjoy a little bit of Southern Gospel myself, and so I come across their version of At Calvary, and my goodness, it's good. Um, it puts me in such a worshipful mood. As soon as I start listening to it, um, it is fantastic. The harmonies are great. The music is very well done in that song. So I, I recommend you listen to the Collingsworth family rendition of At Calvary. Um, and yeah, it, it is so good.
Um, I can't just put it to words. So <laughs> yeah, just go listen to it right now anyway. So um, it will per- put you in a worshipful mood, uplift your soul for sure. So yeah, I think that will do it for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. My goodness, this has been a long episode. As we speak, we're getting to one hour and five minutes and ten seconds. So um, this is for sure the longest episode I've put out yet. Um, That is exciting stuff right there, for sure. So I think that will do it for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And as always, if you would like to join our Discord, please feel free to email me at mcudevos at gmail.com and I will send you the invite link. We can talk Jesus, Marvel, comics, whatever. Um, Can't wait to speak with you. Um, See you there. Um, Get some feedback as well. Um, So thank you for that as well. Um, And we'll see you next time when we cover Avengers Age of Ultron on Oh How Marvelous. Marvelous.